welcome to the Bible Feed podcast. My name is Lawrence, and in this episode, we're going to do another of our overview of biblical books. And when we do this, it's our aim to fit the book into the overall biblical story, examine the structure, and I identify some of the themes that come out, and maybe dive a bit deeper if we have time as well. So I'm joined here by Paul. Paul, what are we looking at today? Hi, Lawrence. Well, we are today looking at the fifth book of the Bible, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And I say it in that highly significant way because it is a real milestone for us because it's the last of what we've been talking about as the five books of Moses. Sometimes we've called that the Torah. Sometimes we've called it the Pentateuch, but it's this first section of the Hebrew scriptures and Deuteronomy is the last of that section, and it really closes that section and sets us up ready for the next section of the Hebrew Bible. Brilliant. Yeah, so this is the fifth book, the end of the book of Moses. So over the episodes, I've done a couple of these with you. Maybe you can fill in some of the details of where we are in Deuteronomy and where does it fit into the biblical story? Yeah, so the story so far, you know, in Genesis, we started out with the the origins of things, that sort of universal picture of human origins and the problem of the separation of God and humanity with, you know, the choice of, of Adam and Eve. But then pretty quickly, it, it goes from that macro view of things and then goes down into a micro view following this family of one man, Abraham, and, and then following through four generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And the events are structured around various promises that, that God has made. And there's examples of people showing faith. But there's also all sorts of problems and fractures in the in the families that are involved. Then we go into Exodus, and we have this drama of the escape from Egypt, the escape from slavery in Egypt of this family, which starts off as about 70 people, but then becomes a, a multitude in, in Egypt. They escape from slavery in Egypt, you know, the, the 10 plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, there's all this drama. And then the second half of the book of Exodus is all about how to build a fancy tent to, to worship worship God. And Book of Exodus finishes with this tent built, constructed, all set up, ready to go. But Moses is not able to enter the tent. And then we go into the Book of Leviticus, and it's it's a whole load of laws and procedures about how God can continue to dwell with this people while they're persistently behaving like stroppy children and and just going off and doing their own thing rather than staying on the straight and narrow in in God's way. And in the middle of that book of Leviticus, we've got the Day of Atonement, a really significant thing we talked about. Then we went to Numbers, which has got some numbers in it, but it's not really about numbers. It's it's a book about the wilderness journey, and it's, it's all about that journey. And then getting to the edge of the promised land, the land of Israel, and that then brings us to Deuteronomy. So there were spoilers in there. If you didn't know what happened to Israel coming out of Egypt, I'm not sure where you've been for <laughs> for your entire life, but there we are. So yeah, we got through to this fifth book through some fairly difficult and challenging passages in scripture. Some is you know very narrative driven. Some is, like you say, there's some numbers which are sometimes hard to plow through when you're when you're reading through. But as we look through that, there's you know it's focused on a particular group of people. And is that really what we're interested in here? Is that the kind of the sum of what we're considering here? Is it just an interesting history story of some ancient folk? Well, I think as we've seen in that narrative, we've seen these oscillations of people from putting their faith in God and, and really kind of trusting and, and doing the right thing to terrible failures. 
And in amongst that story, we've seen glimpses of how God and humans will be reconciled. So it, it isn't just about, here's a history of some people. It's a history of people and their relationship with, with God. And this problem that there is between human beings and God, and there are glimpses in this narrative of how God is ultimately going to be reconciled with humans. So in Genesis, there were promises to Abraham, but also to his his offspring, to his seed. In Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, there was the Passover lamb, and we saw some significance in that. In Leviticus, we mentioned it already, there's the Day of Atonement. And then even in Numbers, there was a, a blessing that this man, this prophet Balaam, gave that referred to a, a future king. But all of these things, in their different ways, are projections forward to someone in, in, a, in a sort of appointed role who would be the one through whom God and, and human beings would be able to come together again. We've obviously talked about that as, as Jesus and, and identified that as, as Jesus. So it isn't just a history of ancient everyday folk. It, there's a lot more going on. It's a theological history that is talking to us about the relationship between God and humans and pointing us to, to Jesus as well. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating as you do studies of New Testament scripture, um, how often references are made back to events, mm. people, places that occur in these first five books. There's almost like some foundation blocks that you find in yeah. in these first five books, which kind of set the the spiritual foundation for things that are built on in the New Testament. It's not just like a family history that we're looking at here. And let's go from that to maybe setting the scene a little bit for where we are as we start to read Deuteronomy. Yeah, so Israel have wandered in the wilderness for a period of 40 years. And, and this period of 40 years in in scriptural terms is, is often used as a period that represents a generation. If you move on to, in time 40 years, you're on to the next generation. The next generation has grown up and is and is now in control. So that's just getting at what is part of the significance of this book of Deuteronomy. They wandered for 40 years. They find themselves now on the east side of the River Jordan, and the previous generation has died out. There's now a new generation. But the old generation died out because they rejected the prospect of going into the land right at the beginning of that, that period. And so Deuteronomy starts with a speech by by Moses, and he repeats a lot of the law that they've been given. And there's lots in there about about covenants, which we'll get into. But it's all it's all about getting them ready, this new generation, getting them ready to cross the River Jordan and go into this land of promise. Yes, this is the land that's termed the land flowing with milk and honey. So this is mm. beautiful land that they're they've been looking forward to so i presume you're not going to let us down and we're going to get into that promised land within deuteronomy i'm sure i mean that would be a great finale wouldn't it to the fifth book of the bible the end of the torah unfortunately not and this this seems to be a repeated thing with <laughs> the the text the narrative builds us up to expect to get to a particular point and then we don't quite get there and something else comes along that we have to think about so so no actually deuteronomy starts with moses going back over Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and retelling the story of them coming out of Egypt and their journey in the wilderness. And and no, they don't get into the land by the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's, in fact, Deuteronomy, the name of the book that we have, which means second law. It's from the Latin. It's not the name of the of the book in, in Hebrew. 
the name of the book in Hebrew is Devarim, which means words. So I don't think you'd, you'd do very well publishing a book just called They're called words. words. <laughs> but it, it's it's taken. The phrase is taken from the the first phrase, which is the words of of Moses. And so that is basically what it is. It's the words of Moses. It's it's things that Moses said over a period of about thirty days. They don't go anywhere. They're just there. There's just these words of Moses. And the the end of the book just leaves us hanging there. Are they are they going to enter the land? Are they not? And actually, Moses, right at the end of the book, dies. You know, this this oh. great leader oh. dies oh. <laughs> at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And we're just told there's a new leader appointed. His name's Joshua. And that's where the five books of the Torah, this this kind of first unit of, of the Hebrew Scriptures, finishes. Somewhat unsatisfactory, it seems. Mm, well, this most like an inspired cliffhanger that mm. we have there. Um, we really should have issued a, a bit of a spoiler alert at the beginning of this episode. So killing off the main character at the end, we should have warned us about that. It's almost as bad as Dumbledore maybe dying off at the end of <laughs> one of the Harry Potter books. Again, ruining somebody's oh, uh, no. consumption of <laughs> Harry Potter books. <laughs> okay, so we're going into the land. Why do we spend the entire book then essentially static? They have this 30 days and they're static for 30 days. And then even at the end of the book, we're not moving forward. We're still in that position. Yeah. Uh, why is why is that the case? Yeah, well, bef- perhaps before we get into the the specifics of of Israel and their situation and what and what happens next with them, it's it's quite intriguing to just step back from that story of the people of Israel for a moment and and just observe that there are similarities between what this book of Deuteronomy looks like and how it's structured. The similarities between Deuteronomy and other ancient treaties and and texts from from the time so by treaty i mean an agreement between two nations two kings you know i've invaded you you've invaded me we've got all a bit fed up of 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 people dying in this and it's all a bit of a hassle why don't we sit down and and write an agreement and agree where the border is and you won't attack me and i'll come to your help and you'll come to my help if we're attacked and that kind of thing deuteronomy follows a similar kind of structure to to those there's treaties whether they're Hittite or Assyrian scholars differ on which which particular one it, it follows most closely but the structure is definitely there and and it follows this kind of pattern that it starts with a historical background a historical prologue then goes into sort of basic terms basic stipulations this is what we're basically agreeing the sort of heads of agreement of of the contract of the treaty then it'll expand on that and go into more detailed stipulations and more detailed terms and then there'll be something that says and this is how we're documenting what we've agreed we're we're writing it on this scroll or this this is where we're documenting what we've agreed or it'll be carved and engraved in some stone or something and then there'll be something that explains and if you break this treaty this is what will happen to you then there's normally a, a sort of a closing section and some kind of ceremony in which the covenant is agreed and signed the treaty is agreed so that's the sort of structure of those ancient treaties. And Deuteronomy follows that sort of structure. There is a difference, of course, in that Deuteronomy isn't a treaty, a covenant between two human beings or two kings of two nations. This is one that involves God. It's between God and human beings. So although it's using a familiar format, it's almost just using that as a vehicle for something that is much richer than a treaty between two kings. You know, we'd see this as inspired and authoritative, but 
just recognizing that this is in a treaty format is really important to understanding what what's the point of this book and why is it here why do we spend so much time on it Yeah, so it's fascinating to, to see similarities. Maybe it's worth just spending a bit of time talking about that covenant and what it meant to have a covenant between God and man and why is it so key and critical to this book. Like, if you look at the end of Deuteronomy, you've got several chapters which are dedicated to these blessings and cursings for mm. keeping it. And there's some really strong wording about how you'll be blessed and particularly how you'll be cursed. So just maybe spend a few moments just talking about the covenant and why covenant is so central to, to this book. Yeah, it brings together the idea of a covenant, the agreement that's involved here, and the passing on from one generation to another. So what this book is about, I think, is a renewal of the covenant for a new generation. It's a sort of a generational renewal of the covenant. So there was a covenant made at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. But here we are at the borders of the land east of Jordan, and and it's happening again. The people are there on the east side of Jordan, and they're sort of on the edge of finishing the journey, but they're now passing on to a, a new generation. And that's almost a perpetual thing that that is happening with each generation. Whether they're in the land or not, the next generation goes into the land, but then the next generation is hoping still for this seed, this king, this leader that was promised, that that thing is always out there in front of them. And and the next generation is is having to pick up the baton from the previous one. And so I think that's the role that this book performs. It's a call to each new generation to to respond and pick it up and take the faith forward. I completely get that. You see that even just in Genesis, like the passing on of this promise, the covenant from one generation in a family to the next generation of families. And I think it's really interesting right at the beginning of Deuteronomy, the, the phrases that Moses uses to to talk about who got the covenant. Yeah. So Moses talks about that explicitly in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter five, where it says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, not with our fathers did he, did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. So this is Moses speaking to this new generation on the east side of Jordan, referring back to the covenant that was made 40 years earlier in Sinai and saying that God made that covenant with you that, that are here alive today, even though at the time they were running around as, as toddlers and with their parents saying, don't set foot on the mountain. We're banned from doing that, trying to control these little toddlers as this covenant was being made at Sinai. So he's moving the covenant on to all those that are now alive today on the east side of Jordan, ready to go into the land. This is the equivalent of that Sinai moment for the previous generation. This is their Sinai moment here on the east side of, of Jordan, where they can actually see the promised land now over the other side of the river. Yes, it's an incredible setting for, for this book. The children of Israel amassed, listening to Moses speaking, 
seeing the mountains of this promised land on the horizon in front of them and maybe even like smelling on the wind the fruitfulness of this land which they're just about to enter. So that's the context and the setting. Let's maybe look a little bit more at that structure. You've, there's 34 chapters here. This is not a small book. How would we start to consider the structure of the of book of Deuteronomy? Yeah, we've alluded to the, the treaty style with a sort of historical background and then the basic terms and then the more detailed terms. And and that's pretty much how it how it proceeds. So it starts with Moses giving the historical background, the historical prologue. He tells the story about how they came out of Egypt, how they went to the edge of the land and then refused to go in. And and then were consigned to wandering in the wilderness for, for 40 years. And actually, as part of that, right at the beginning of, of Deuteronomy, it says, beyond Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying. So part of what he's going to do is to explain the law. So he's not giving them a new law, although this, this book is called Deuteronomy's second law. It's not a new law, but it's an explanation or an exposition of what they've been given so far but now for a new situation. And there are some changes to it. There are some additions to it for that new situation as they're going to go into the land. And this first section, chapters 1 to 11, is a speech of Moses. One of the things it includes is chapter 5, which is the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure are very familiar to people. Emphasis on remembering that they were slaves in Egypt and therefore they should behave in a certain way to, to other people. So that's like the basic terms of the Treaty of the Covenant. And then we go into the middle section, the middle of three main sections, which is chapters 12 to 26. And this is the written law. It's the core of the book. It's the the detailed terms of, of the covenant. But it's not a new law. It's similar to what's gone before, but it's its emphasis is different because it's for a new situation. So, for example, at the beginning of that section in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and at verse 4, we read about, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, as in wherever you like, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and contributions and so on. So, when they're in the land, they will be settled and there will be a place which ends up being at Jerusalem, which God will choose. And that's that's where they will go, go and worship. So it's not a different law. It's an exposition, an explanation of the law for a new situation as they go into the land. OK, those sections align with the structure you put forward before, which is the historical prologue, the basic stipulations and, and then going in, into a bit more detail. So I presume that then continues in chapter 27 onwards. Yeah. So we've got the three sections, chapters 1 to 11, Moses' kind of historical background speech, and it contains this basic terms. Then you've got the detailed terms in chapters 12 to 26. And then chapter 27, you get the document clause. How is this going to be documented? And there's an account of how all of this law was written on stone and placed in a certain place. And then Moses gives another speech and this is where perhaps most well-known part of Deuteronomy comes up where we've got a chapter that contains blessings if you continue in this covenant then you'll be blessed but if you don't there will be curses it's chapter 28 and this is about the first 10 verses or something are these are the blessings that you'll receive and then the next 40 verses or something are these are the curses that that will happen if you if you depart from it so it's pretty obvious 
where this is going to go. <laughs> and then there is the the covenant agreement itself. Moses calls on the people to agree to this this covenant, and they do so. There is a ceremony in which the covenant is is renewed. But there's still a few chapters left of Deuteronomy. We get Joshua appointed as the new leader and Moses dying in the last two or three chapters. And that's our 34 chapters of Deuteronomy in a nutshell. So that kind of matching that structure, maybe just the last bit, maybe slightly different to the ends of usual treaties where you've got that narrative structure of Moses dying, Mm. Joshua being appointed, etc. But maybe it's time to have a look at some of the themes that we get out of those. So I think we're probably going to consider three of those. Let's start with something right at the beginning, something we've referred to already, the Ten Commandments. It's very early on. It's chapter five. What thoughts can we get get from the Ten Commandments? And I think, first of all, we should see if if between us, without looking, we can, we can rehearse the Ten Commandments. So was it you will have okay. no other gods beside me? No idols. No idols. N- no, no idols. Taking the name of the Lord. No taking in, the keep the Sabbath day. Yeah. I think that's the fifth on, one though, isn't it? Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Yeah. Don't steal. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your don't neighbor's covet thingy-majigs. And don't bear false witness. Don't bear false witness. Is that ten? I think I think we've got ten there. No, we've got ten. I think. Not, it weren't, we weren't in the right order, I don't think. But. Okay. Well, that's not bad. So maybe not quite in the right order, but I think we got the basic order that there is. So it starts with things to do with God. You know, you shall have no other gods beside me, not, not make idols, and things to do with relationship with God. Then family, honour your father and mother, and then relationships with other people. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and so on. So the whole thing is based on worship of God and recognition of God as as God. But we can also boil it down into only two commands, because that's exactly how Jesus summarizes the law. You know, He's asked, what is the great commandment of the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Great. So that early part... It's a setting a principle that's used and referred to by Jesus in the New Testament. What about going into the more detailed rules from those basic stipulations to more detailed rules that we see later in Deuteronomy? Yeah, so this central section, chapters 12 to 26, are all these more detailed rules. <clears throat> I think once we're clued into recognizing that Deuteronomy is following this structure of a treaty, then we can see that there might be a connection between the Ten Commandments as those basic terms and and then what's laid out in more detail. We would expect the, the detailed commands to be an expansion of the Ten Commands. And, and that's precisely what we find. So when we start to go through chapters 12 through to 26, we find that it pretty much goes through things in the same order as the Ten Commandments. So it starts off with a lot about not worshipping idols and the gods of the of the, the nations around or the nations that are in the lands now before they've gone in. Lots of warnings against idolatry. Then there's a section about the Sabbath and the Sabbath year of release. It expands on that with the annual cycles of things and the feasts that they are to have each year. And then it goes into uh, laws about murder, the cities of refuge, and those kind of things, laws about going to war, 
and then it then it carries on and goes into laws about divorce and and sexual immorality and and so on. So you can see it's following through the the structure and the order of those ten commandments in that core section. So that's almost like a like the table of contents at the beginning with the ten commandments, and then a more detailed mm. application of it further on in chapters twelve to twenty six. Very good. that's the first theme that was all about the ten commandments and how they apply in that structure what's the second of the deeper themes that we want to look at so we've talked about this passing on from one generation to the next generation already if we just have a look at chapter 29 of deuteronomy so this is in that final section of the the treaty structure now we're going to have the ceremony for agreeing to this covenant and in chapter 29 and verse 14 and 15, Moses, when he's, he's about to call on the people to agree to this, he says, It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. So it's it's the people that are there in front of them, but it's also those that are not there. And it's not just those that have taken a sick day and are, are not not present with the congregation listening to Moses. This is those those that are not here yet. And so Deuteronomy contains things that are, are not relevant to this generation immediately before them on the east side of Jordan. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, for example, we've got instructions for kings. Well, the people of Israel haven't got a king, and they won't have a king for a couple of hundred years from, from this time. So why is, why is that there? It's clearly for a future generation as as this thing rolls forward. And and what's interesting about Deuteronomy, so this passing on to a next generation isn't just a, that's an interesting feature of the book of Deuteronomy. It actually sets the stage for the whole next section of the Hebrew Scriptures, which is the historical sequence of books from Joshua through Judges, 1st of Samuel, 2nd of Samuel, 1st of Kings, 2nd of Kings, which takes us through a period of about, I don't know, 600 years of history or something, right through to the time when um, Israel are exiled, taken into exile and captivity by the Babylonians, and, and they go to, to Babylon. And Deuteronomy almost forms the framework by which this account of future judges and kings are, are described. As you go through and read about each of the, the leaders and the kings, we're told about them. Are they worshipping only Yahweh? Are they removing idols from the land? Are they remaining faithful to the covenant? And it's all the things that Deuteronomy is setting up. And and then the account is, how did they do by reference to what Deuteronomy expects of, of these leaders? And and it sets it up as if they if they remain faithful and do those things, then they're blessed. If they don't do those things, then bad things happen. So that, that's part of what's going on here. But there's more because right, right at the end of that historical block, if you like, we have a particular king in Jerusalem, in Judah, called King Josiah. And 
just before his reign, the the temple was in ruins. It wasn't wasn't being used. wasn't being used properly. And he decided, no, we're going to sort this out. We're going to reform and and get back to using the temple as it should be used. And as they were clearing things out, they found a book of the law. And because of the way it's talked about, and we'll perhaps just look at the reference in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. So they found this book, it was read out, and they found if you don't stick to the covenant, there'll be all these curses. And that's that's what Deuteronomy contains. So almost all commentators think that what they found was a portion of the book of Deuteronomy that was the law, but probably also those blessings and cursings sections as well. So at the end of this block of history that we've got from Deuteronomy Judges through to the end of Kings, we've got Deuteronomy popping up again. Mm. And and actually, I've, I've got a useful book that's called The Old Testament Use of the Old Testament. And when it's talking about Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks like the book of Deuteronomy. He's always quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. There's a, a little spike in references to Deuteronomy in the words of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary with this king, Josiah. And people have speculated, and I, th- I think it's quite a reasonable speculation, that Jeremiah, or the time of Jeremiah, that's when this whole historical sequence of texts was put together into a complete, inspired, authoritative history from Deuteronomy right the way through to King Josiah, all based around the covenant. Are you being faithful to the covenant or not? And the whole history is about that relation between God Very and the nation. Very interesting. And I suppose you get those references for new kings. When a new king comes about, they have to write the law, don't they? Mm. So they will have then taken these words and they would have written those up themselves. Very interesting. So something else for us to look out Mm. for as we're reading Deuteronomy. Super. Right, so let's move on to the third of our deeper themes that we're going to look at. And this is to do with parallels that we're seeing in the structure of those whole five from Genesis through to to Deuteronomy. So we have, don't we, right at the beginning of Scripture, we have a beautiful land and Adam and Eve residing in Eden. We have the river that's watering it. Everything is beautiful. And they go from this absolute paradise to being cast out into almost like a wilderness setting. Mm. So they go out from Eden into a uh, into a period when they're going from blessing, a time of blessing to, you know, essentially curses. So how do we see a mirror of that within Deuteronomy then? Well, I suppose, yeah, I suppose we've got the reverse of that happening. They've been through the wilderness and they're now going to enter the, the land that flows with milk and honey, which is a, a sort of Eden-like description of, of the promised land that they're, they're about to enter into. Yeah, in Genesis, you had Abraham was said, you know, blessed, blessed is he that will bless you and cursed is those that curse you. And then you have blessings and cursings at, at the end in, in Deuteronomy as well. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful mirror, isn't it, of, of the, like the, the, the two bookends of, of the Torah mirroring each other. Mm. It's almost like, will they get back to this Eden-like situation? Will they or won't they? It's, it's just there within mm. grasp. And Moses dies and they've got this new leader, Joshua. Yeah, so if we see this sort of symmetrical structure, 
with Genesis and Deuteronomy have have matching features. Exodus and Numbers kind of do, which we talked about in those episodes. And in Leviticus, in the middle of the book of Leviticus, we've got the Day of Atonement, uh, which is this like most significant day in the calendar, which has offerings that represent the work of the Lord Jesus. So we seem to have this symmetrical structure, but it, what it's pointing to is not you must keep the the letter of the law. What it's pointing to is is this repeated reference to a future saviour of some sort that will bring about a reconciliation between God and, and humans. Yeah, this Joshua figure, which you just lands yeah. right in the last few words of of Deuteronomy, and uh, yeah, and Jesus is like mm. the central part of yeah, of, and that's the same name. Course. Exactly. So I, I, th- I think that's a beautiful structure that we can we can take. And if we read the first five books using that structure in our mind, that kind of mental model of what it looks like, I think it brings another level of richness to kind of what we're reading, rather than it just being a list of names and numbers mm. and random stuff. Super. Okay, so let's move on then to looking at the Deuteronomy in the context of other parts of Scripture. So how is this how is Deuteronomy used elsewhere? Now, you, now you've covered a couple of them, like you're talking about Jeremiah and how the kings have used it, etc. But let's see if there's any others. Yeah, and if we think about Moses, you know, he's the central figure in Exodus through to, to Deuteronomy, really. But he dies at the end. But as we've seen in all of the previous books, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there's always been something there that projects us forward, um, and it's a pointing forward to Jesus. And, and Deuteronomy is just the same. So if we take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll see the key thing in Deuteronomy that projects us forward to Jesus. So in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, it says, The Lord your God, and it's part of this speech of Moses, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. And first of all, there's an emphasis on you know, whoever this is, this prophet like Moses that will come, he will be like, he will be from you, from among you. He'll be one, one of your brothers, from your brothers. He'll be a human being like, like them. So, and, and they will listen to him. And that gets picked up in the New Testament in, in John's gospel when, in John chapter one, when Philip sees Jesus and goes off and tells this other chap, Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So they, they've been looking for this prophet like Moses, this anointed one, this Messiah figure, the, the king, the savior, all these terms. And they found him, the one that Moses was speaking of. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, when, when the apostles are teaching and telling people about Jesus and his resurrection and the gospel, in Acts chapter three, it says, you know, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Yeah, and you can't get a stronger link back to the words in Deuteronomy than that. And so we see Jesus as this Moses-like figure exhibiting um, similar characteristics and in fact um, like performing this idealized version of what Moses did with Israel, leading them, being a shepherd and being a strong leader to, to this people. But do we see Jesus himself using Deuteronomy much in the gospel records? I think there is a key event in the account of the life of Jesus that, that does exactly that, where, where Jesus uses the book of Deuteronomy. 
And it's shortly after he's he's baptized in the River Jordan and he receives the Spirit. And he goes into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days, like Israel were in the wilderness. He's tempted and tested for those 40, like Israel were tested in the wilderness, but they failed. Jesus succeeded. And every time he answers, there's three temptations recorded in, for example, Matthew chapter 4. And each time he's tempted, he answers the trial, the test, the temptation by quoting some words from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, wonderful. Well, we've spent quite a bit of time in Deuteronomy. Any last recommendations for for listeners on what they should look at, how they should approach studying Deuteronomy for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think we've looked at the two key things, really. So as you read it, you know, you can bear in mind the structure, the treaty-like structure, but it's so much richer than that because it's a treaty, a covenant between God and, and human beings. But you can look within that for for the, the calls that go to future generations, the, the hints that this is not just about Moses speaking to that group of people on the east side of Jordan. It has a generational renewal going on with it. And as you read that central law section, chapters 12 to 26, might not be the most exciting, but just try and relate it back to the Ten Commandments and see how it's following that that structure. But that call to each generation is effectively still still going on. It's still going out. So we just read it, didn't we, from Acts chapter 3, from verse 18 of Acts 3. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So that was a call. It was an appeal to people in the days of the apostles. And that appeal, that call, originating in Deuteronomy is still is still going out still echoing echoing through the generations yeah. superb smashing thank you very much paul for taking us through deuteronomy that concludes our book review of the first five books of the bible of the, of the hebrew scriptures an amazing foundation that we can all use for for studying the rest of, of the bible so if you want to hear any more about the topics that we've raised, we found one of the sessions we did on discovering Jesus in Matthew, particularly number three, which was the section tempted by the devil. And there's those references back to Deuteronomy. We look into those into a little bit more detail. So go and check out that that session. Well, thank you very much for listening. Please look us up on BibleFeed.org and Facebook and Instagram as well. If you've got any suggestions or questions, please let us know and please join the conversation. 